I love the look on her face. Well, we're here talking about uh, Relationships 101, Highway 101, the Royal Highway, El Camino Real. And Paul and James both address the issue of relationships and healthy relationships and of all things, how we deal with conflict. Maybe the last thing you wanted was to come to church and talk about conflict, right? Because you've got enough conflict in your life, enough issues that you're trying to deal with. But thankfully, God's Word uh, gives us some direction and help uh, so we can deal with conflict. You know, one of the basic things about conflict uh, that it's important to understand is if you don't deal with it, it always gets worse. Haven't you found that? It always gets worse. And so we're going to talk about conflict from a, a biblical perspective. How does God's Word address this issue of conflict uh, in a broken world? We live in a broken world. Um, we understand that because of the fall, because of sin entering into this broken world, uh, we're divided from other people. We're divided within ourselves. We're even separated from nature. So there's this constant conflict that goes on. And God's Word addresses this on two levels. First of all, God's Word addresses the intrapersonal relationship with God. Uh, the uh, in, intra, within, our relationship within. And the conflict that can be within us. And then it addresses the issue of interpersonal conflict. That is the relationships that we have and the conflict that we have between ourselves and other people. Uh, there was a story of a pastor uh, who had a lady come to him and uh, she said, uh, I'm going to have to divorce my husband. And the pastor said, well, uh, do you have any grounds? And she said, uh, well, yes, uh, we have almost an acre. <laughs> and he said, but no, you don't understand. He says, um, you're telling me you, uh, there's something here. You, you, do you have a grudge? And she says, well, actually, we don't. But we do have a nice carport. <laughs> and so the uh, pastor says, I really, I'm sorry, but I just don't see any reason or any for this divorce. And uh, so she said to him, well, the reason is that this man, this man, he just can't carry on an intelligent conversation. And so often, uh, it's the way we relate to other people. It's, the, it's the, not only our, our, our behavior, but it's our thought life. Here in Timothy chapter 6, Paul addresses some of these issues within the church. And often we think uh, in the church there's conflict. Well, often there is. Remember, it was Paul and John Mark uh, as they were beginning their missionary journey, particularly in Turkey, uh, that uh, Paul didn't want John Mark to go with him. He felt that he wasn't qualified. He felt that he wasn't prepared. Uh, and there was a conflict between him and this individual named John Mark. Now, we know also that Barnabas, uh, the encourager, uh, took John Mark under his wing. And he began to work with this young man and help him to understand uh, how to handle conflict and how to work with others. And later, it was that John Mark joined Paul in these missionary journeys. And so uh, the Bible talks about conflict, but it talks about it in a way that uh, is to help restore 
our relationship, and it's a call to righteousness, a call to holy living. It's a call to having the Holy Spirit direct our inner life, our walk with Christ, so that there's a difference in the way we treat other people. We can begin to understand how to be covenantal. To be covenantal means that we recognize that we have a responsibility for these relationships. So often, in conflict, the feeling is, there's nothing wrong with me, you got a problem. And that's often how we approach the problem. We, we begin with you. You have a problem. And here, uh, we find that Paul addresses this issue by reminding us that we have a problem. Maybe we didn't cause the problem, but we do have a problem because as a Christian, because as a brother or sister in Christ, we have a responsibility to address this. And so we care enough to confront. We care enough that we become involved. Now, what are the two things that we usually do whenever there is conflict? Well, first of all, most of us, flight is an easy response, right? You know, we just don't want to deal with it. Because why? Often we've experienced conflict in very negative ways. And so uh, just uh, push it under. It's kind of like pushing a ball under the water and you keep pushing under, pushing under. And then something maybe innocuous, not really related to it, happens and there's an explosion. So that doesn't work. It's a coping mechanism. It's a way to try to help resolve it. Sometimes I think people even think it makes them more spiritual. Oh, you know, uh, well, yes, I, I'm more spiritual. I, I'm not going to be bothered by this. I'm going to just let it go. Well, that doesn't work. If you don't deal with conflict, it always gets worse. Some people like conflict. You ever notice that? I have. <laughs> and some people in the church like conflict. Uh, there's a book written by a friend, a pastor friend of mine called These Sheep Bite. <laughs> and sometimes people really like conflict. They enjoy conflict. They try to get conflict started. And they somehow have an identity and when, with, it, with the whole process that somehow they're needed or they're involved or something is taking place that they actually promote conflict. And so they like to fight now, I've been working for a number of years in various places where there's been wars and disaster. And I've been there to help train pastors and missionaries and Christian relief workers dealing in very conflicted situations. And sometimes people are so traumatized by what they've experienced, they just shut down. For example, I was in uh, northern Uganda... Uh, up uh, along the border there um, and I was working with World Vision I was training their staff in a child treatment program working with these traumatized kids children who had been abused sex slaves and child soldiers and they came in and many of the children would just sit and rock they couldn't even respond they just shut down they couldn't even it was just, it was just purely a survival Mechanism, just trying to hold on. I remember uh, we were in Rwanda after that genocide, and we were working in this Anglican church, great big Anglican church, and we were doing these uh, activities with the children, trying to build trust and trying to build a relationship with them. And there was a little boy, 
who was sitting at the side and he didn't participate in any of the activities, the games, the play therapy, art, whatever. He just sat along the edge of the wall. And one of our staff just went over to sit with little Edward. And I noticed that uh, when he did move, his, his shirt kind of hung awkwardly. And I realized that there was something wrong. I asked one of the uh, uh, Rwandan pastors, uh, what, what is it about Edward? He said, Edward has been shot five times. And his mother was raped and killed and his father was killed. And the little Edward just would sit there and rock. And so for days, the staff member just sat beside Edward. Just that ministry of presence. Just to be there. And slowly Edward began to open up. And finally began to talk about what had happened what he had seen, the horrible things this little 10-year-old boy had gone through. So sometimes people just shut down when the trauma, the pain is so great. Now, there are different ways we try to respond. And God's Word tries to give to us and does give to us some helpful guidelines about how we can respond to these painful events that happen in life. And I'm sure there are things that you have in your own story today that you're carrying hurt that you've never resolved, that you've never finished, you've never resolved in your life. And today may be the day that Christ can begin a work in you where you can surrender those things to him and be able to let Jesus bring healing into your life. The wonderful thing about following Jesus is that the message is a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message of care and compassion. You remember uh, how Jesus approached even little children. Let the little children come unto me. All those who are disenfranchised, those who have no power, those who are powerless, the women who have no place in society, uh, no value, children, whatever... And yet Jesus welcomes us. And so let's read this, Tim, this passage in Timothy because I think uh, uh, Paul addressing this young pastor is giving Timothy some guidelines. He's trying to help Timothy understand that it begins, first of all, within. Uh, the conflict always begins within. Uh, and until there's, this, there's that work of the Spirit opening, leading our lives, and directing our lives, uh, there's, uh, there, there's no real way we're going to be able to handle the interpersonal conflict. And so he says, uh, he's talking about these who are acting out this, this unhealthy behavior. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But then, slipping down to verse 11, but you, follower of Jesus, man of God, he says, flee from all of this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and 
gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Hold on to the eternal life to which you were called when you were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we ask your help today because uh, even as we're here, we confess that there are things that uh, we, we carry, hurts that we carry, unresolved issues that continue to plague our lives, and we find that we just can't be freed from it. We, it it's just hard for us to have any resolve. And we need to understand how you, you want to heal us. You want to restore us. That you call us to this royal way, to live in Christ, to know his love and care, care, his compassion and his love for us. And so we pray that you'll open our hearts today, that you'll touch us, that you'll heal us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that uh, was really important to me uh, as a young Christian, because I grew up in the church, my grandfather was a pastor, my dad was a new church development, and so I grew up in the church. I remember sleeping on pews, remember they uh, were varnished, uh, and you, you lay your face down and your face sticks to the pew. Uh, I remember going to Wednesday night prayer meetings, I remember uh, I was in church. I mean, I was in church all the time. But one of the things that disturbed me as a young person was the lack of congruence between what people say and what people do. What people say, what they profess, and what they do. And it really bothered me. And as I began to really just read God's Word, I began to try to find... How can there be a greater relationship between what we say and what we do? Often parents will say, uh, uh, don't do as I do, but do as I say, you know. But that doesn't work. There needs to be that, that relationship that, between what we say and do. And here, uh, Paul is talking about the internal life. If there isn't some, some uh, congruence between our internal life, of who we are in Christ and, and what God is doing to change us and transform us, then our behavior is going to not be uh, uh, appropriate or fitting with that kind of heart attitude. And so here, uh, Paul addresses this issue and he says, it begins, Timothy, with thinking right. He says, uh, you, you have to begin to face the way that you're, you're thinking. And he's talking about unhealthy thinking. Another a place Paul addresses, I think, is Philippians. He says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. He's talking about this internal change, this, this being spirit-led, this being having the Holy Spirit <clears throat> direct our lives in such a way that, that we, we view ourselves and people differently. I remember several years ago uh, uh, when I was doing my master's in counseling psychology, there was a, 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 a theory called transactional analysis. I don't think it's even around today. And I don't buy the whole thing, but I, I think it really describes in some ways how to understand this issue. Because it talked about there are different parts of the personality. There's one part of our personality that comes from our parents or authority figures. 
It's those who have influenced us that tell us to wear clean underwear and don't kick dogs and, and help old ladies across streets, whatever. It's all those good, good shoulds, all those things that we should do. Another part of our personality is the emotional part. The emotional part that we like to, it's a beautiful day. I mean, it's amazing, gorgeous day. You're here in this, and we're not outside, we're not at the beach. Uh, and so uh, sometimes the emotions of, I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what other people say. Uh, this is how I, what I want. But then there's another part of who we are. It's called the real you. The real you is, is like the conductor of an orchestra that knows when to bring in the brass and the strings. Uh, so the real you is the part that uh, Paul talks about, the, not, not only the natural man, the carnal man, but the spiritual man. The man who is led by God's spirit, who is spirit-led, who the Holy Spirit is directing in such a way that we know when to be able to say to the authority part of our personality, yes, this is a good should. I, I, I need to do this is able to say to the emotional part of our personality, all right, now, now I've finished these tasks, whatever, then I can play, I can relax, I can read a book, uh, I can take a walk, whatever. So the, the spiritual man that, that Paul is addressing is the one who is led by God's Spirit to make healthy and life-giving choices. And he's talking about this kind of life, this kind of thinking this, that, that frames who we are. Uh, sometimes uh, we think that the authority voice is God's voice. And that's not always true. Sometimes it's that unhealthy part uh, that comes from other people, uh, maybe other um, uh, people who are saying negative things about us, or if you don't do these things, uh, you're no good, you have no value, whatever. Uh, or maybe it's voices within ourselves that we, uh, we're trying to uh, obey this, uh, these, all these shoulds, whatever. So there's a difference between God's Holy Spirit directing us and leading us to the good things of life versus all this psychological guilt. Psychological guilt, when it comes from others or, or this voice within ourselves uh, to tell us how bad we are or how we failed, uh, just kind of rubs our face in it, makes us feel makes us feel really terrible. Uh, but that's not the work of the God's Spirit. God's Spirit works in such a way to show us about things that we need to see. It reveals things from the unknown part of our personality, that part that we don't see, and opens it up to us in such a way that there is real repentance. Oh no, Lord, I don't want this. This is not what I want. I don't choose to go this way and forgive me, and get me back on that which is life-giving. So Paul addresses this issue by saying, these, these quarrels and all this, this conflict, it begins internally, because we're trying to use power. We're trying to use some kind we want to win. We don't have relationships as our priority, or the uh, healthy relationships. We have our, our own priority. I want to win. I, there's a story in the church of a young pastor uh, in a small country church who uh, called a special meeting of, uh, of the church and uh, about the purchase of a, a brand new chandelier. 
and uh, people were discussing this back and forth and finally this uh, gentleman stepped up and he said he said well maybe buying a new chandelier may be a good idea to you but he said I'm against it and I've got three reasons he says first of all it's too expensive we just can't afford it and secondly I don't know anybody around here that knows how to play one and the third what we really need in this church is a new light fixture I think often the conflict begins because we don't listen to each other. We don't really begin to have that commitment to the relationship that will even take the time to really listen and enter into the relationship because we have these assumptions about other people. Often we bring so much baggage in to the relationships of other hurts and other things. And so... Uh, we, we make these assumptions and, and we, go, we, make, we generalize and we, we confuse. Um, I'd like to suggest to you that if you make relationships a priority, that's the beginning point. I think then uh, you can begin to focus on what, what's, what are you going to do about this situation? What can you do? Uh, begin to trigger that uh, listening response. Uh, I just heard... Uh, Yesterday, somebody said that uh, God's given us two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we talk. And often the problem is we don't really listen to one another. We don't really just slow down and stop and listen. And so this morning, I'd like to give you five steps. You get five fingers, you know, five steps. I like to talk about five steps that we can use to be able to resolve conflict in a healthy way, in a way where God's Spirit can lead us and direct us in such a way that we can move toward a healing conversation. Now, in Europe, this is always one. Not We go like this, right, one. In Europe, it's one. Okay, step number one. Step number one, you need to know what's happening. Uh, you, you need to hear the problem. Often, we don't hear the problem. For counselors, most counselors are told that the presenting problem is not always the real problem. True? Those of you that are counselors, and you know as parents, that often the problem you hear is not the real problem. So the real big step, the number one step, is to try to hear the problem. It means, uh, tell me more about that. You have to open the door. I think just using some basic door openers, and that is, tell me more about that. Uh, because the very first step is trying to get the problem out. So often, it's, uh, it's covered up with all kinds of other kind of issues. Uh, and so people uh, are very hesitant to open up. They're not sure if you're going to condemn them or criticize them or blame them or reject them. And so what happens is uh, they don't really talk about it. Either they shut down or they flee. They don't talk about it. And so when, if we're going to be caregivers, if we care enough to enter into relationships in a healthy way, one of the things we need to do, and the Bible talks about being a peacemaker. There's a lot of references to making peace that, that we are called to be as peacemakers. Uh, and the first step is always to find out what the problem is. And it's always 90% of the process is always trying to find out what the problem is. Tell me more about that. Uh, it, it, sometimes it takes a long time. 
It, it, it takes a long time for the, the problem to emerge because often we don't know what we're feeling. You ever notice that? Often we're, we're hurting. We don't, we're, we're upset. We're confused. We're, we're angry. We're, we're, we're just torn up. We don't know what's going on because we don't even know how to define the problem. We don't know why this is bothering us, but we just, well, all I can tell you is I've had enough. <laughs> and uh, so we have a difficulty even putting into words our feelings. And that's one of the things that's a result of the fall of sin. We're divided within ourselves. I don't believe the subconscious existed before the fall because we're really together as a person uh, as a human being there was a there was a sense of togetherness instead now there's a fractured sense there's a part of us that we've been hurt by things in the past and things that have been done and uh, I've used this illustration before but it really makes a lot of sense to me like a telephone switchboard the old telephone switchboard that had all the plug-ins you know and uh, the, you would call, and the operator would connect this wire with this wire with this wire. Um, remember those? Yes. Lily Tomlin, remember that? Uh, and I think what happens is that often we get hurt in life, and relationships have, have not been healthy. Uh, we, maybe we haven't had good parents, parents who've really been that supportive caring, nurturing kind of parent. Maybe you've had teachers. Maybe you've had, uh, maybe you've had relationships in the church where people have hurt you. And so you begin to plug these things in and you, it gets all the wires, get all crossed. And you've been hurt. And so you don't know why you react the way you do, but you just do. It's just, and you're, 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 hurting you're confused and so often it's trying to help no that doesn't go there that goes there and that doesn't go there that goes there God has called us as peacemakers and this royal life of following Jesus the El Camino Real that we're called to be peacemakers we're called to we have a responsibility. I am my brother's, my sister's keeper. Uh, when there is a problem, I don't wait for that person. I need to go to that person. I need to take the initiative and say, how can I help? You want to talk about this. And so often in problem solving is we hang back. We hold back because fear, I think so much of it is Fear, fear of being misunderstood or fear of perhaps doing something that, that complicates the problem or, or fear of whatever. But I think we need to address that issue of fear and say, God, you're calling me as a follower of Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. And I want my life to be one that it's life-giving in all relationships and I value the relationships and so therefore, when we begin with step one, we're trying to hear the problem. We're, 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 we're entering into this person's life. And often we're entering into what I call terrible knowledge. And believe me, when you're hearing stories, 
of children who've been beaten, children who've been forced to be on forced marches and killing other children with machetes. And you're hearing terrible things. I think you may not be hearing that, but when you enter into somebody's life, when you make the choice to enter into this problem in a healthy way, often you're hearing things that are very sad. And you have to make a choice. Do you want to do that? But God can use you to be a, a, a life-giving person, to enter into that story with them and to be present. That ministry of presence, that you're there, that you care. First step is always, what's the problem? Willing to listen, willing to be there. The second thing, the second step, is what, what are some possible things that can be done? What can we do? Now, there's no judging, no analyzing, no criticizing. And if you're doing this with a group of people or others are involved, sometimes people say, oh, no, that'll never work. We tried that before. No, that'll never work. No, just wait a minute. Hold on from the judgment. Um, you know, what, are some possible, what are some possible things that could be done? And what you do is you begin to move into this next step of a healing conversation where you put into practice, you put into practice this loving care. You begin to give them opportunity to look at some possible solutions. Look at possible things that may work and maybe they don't work. But at least you're beginning to talk about what are some possible things. And for some people, they've never had this opportunity. They've never had the opportunity for someone to say, well, tell, tell me about that. What are some possible things we can do? What could you do in this situation? And they've never had somebody who's willing to enter into that with him to talk about some possible things without judging or criticizing or rejecting. So often, children don't do that because they're afraid they're going to be shut down or rejected. And then finally... You get to the third step. Of all these different possible things, what, 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 can, what can possibly be applied? What can we do? What can you do? You begin to look at some possible things and you, you begin to uh, bring it to the light. So often what it is is your stuff has been unresolved and unfinished and it, it's, you're bringing stuff to the light. You bring to the light. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. You know, notice that? You ever notice how the Holy Spirit is always leading us in such a way that he starts to show us things that we did not see before? And a part of being a, a helpful caregiver with others is they begin to expose to the light certain things they've never thought before and you begin to validate. You begin to encourage. It's that ministry of Barnabas. The same thing you had to do with John Mark, who was not being a helpful person. And so Paul didn't want to, don't, I don't want to deal with this guy. But what did Barnabas do? Came alongside and began to work with him. And so often the third step, the third step is, well, what do you want to do? What, what, what do you think will work today? that you're willing to do today. And that begins to be a healing thing because they begin to see there's some hope. One of the things that you're doing 
when you're dealing with conflict in relationships is you're restoring hope. Often people have lost a sense of hope. They've lost a sense that this can ever be resolved. They don't really, they, they, they mouth the words, oh, I believe God, but they continue to carry this. It continues to be this burden that they carry. It's never been resolved. And so begin to recognize there are some things they could do. And then there's a fourth step. The fourth step is deciding who, who will do what or what steps will you take, uh, what do you do next, uh, beginning to implement it, begin to put it into practice. This is what we're going to do. And then finally, there comes the point where you need to evaluate, be able to come back to the person and say, all right, how's it going? How are you doing? And often in the church, we don't follow up. Often we hear people talk about their problems and we never, we never follow up. We never go back to them. We never reach out to them and say, uh, how are you doing? I know that uh, you are struggling in your marriage. I know that it was this difficulty in your workplace. I know that you had this issue that you've been trying to resolve. How are you doing? And we come back because we say we care. Now there's so much more we can say about conflict, but this is what Paul is addressing. That we're called to a life of righteousness, a life that is called to healing, that is life-giving, that is restorative. This is the walk in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we stop today, we ask that you would help us because it's easy for us to carry so many things in our life year after year. It's easy for us to try to blame and uh, blame others, criticize. It's not my fault. But Lord, isn't it time that we finally ask for you to intervene in our lives, in our story, and bring hope and healing in our lives so that before the watching world, they will see that it makes a difference for those who follow Jesus. So we ask for your help today, and we ask you to restore us in Jesus' name. Amen.